When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. All right, my favorite time of the week, time to talk to Matt Baker about some college football. And Matt, you had an opportunity to listen to and uh, sort of evaluate Billy Napier as he arrived at the University of Florida to take over the Gators' head coaching job. Early impressions, what kind of a guy do you think they got here? He's an impressive dude. He really is. I mean, he speaks very deliberately and carefully. You can tell there's some, I mean, you can tell that he spent all that time with Nick Saban. Um, he, he dropped a couple Sabanisms. He said at one point, he didn't know somebody from Adam's house cat, which is a, a Saban line. And, <laughs> and I think that's a, I, I think it's a good thing. Um, just in how careful and deliberate he is with that. And, you know, how kind of how you do anything is how you do everything. The, the thing that really jumped out to me is the level of commitment. You know, I, I wrote about this as he was getting hired. Florida's had Saban guys before, Jim McElwain and Will Muschamp, and they went 0 for 2 on them. And one of the reasons why they went 0 for 2 is because Florida wasn't, you know, they were, they were kind of uh, not going all in on Saban. Um, they were not institutionally doing what it took to catch up. You know, they, the arms race, they were way behind in facilities. Um, they didn't open the indoor until 2015. They're, they're, you know, the, the uh, football complex, $85 million standalone facility, that's opening in a year. But, like, LSU has had one for a while and already renovated it. So they were behind in the arms race. They were behind in infrastructure, to some degree behind in what they were paying assistance and that sort of thing. And they needed to catch up. And that was the thing that jumped out to me f- with Billy. He made it clear, this is what I want. And it wasn't like a negotiation. Florida, he said, this is what I want. This is what I need. And with seven and a half million for assistant pool, five million for support staffers. And Scott Strickland said, okay. He, he, he bought it because he looked at the plan and all of the details. And this is why we need every single thing. And he's, he bought it. I, I think, and I think that's a really a good thing for Florida. It needed, you know, for so long, it was one of those things where, like, we, we didn't need, you know, Spurrier didn't need this stuff. Why do we need these fancy facilities? Spurrier didn't need a trillion dollars on coaches' salaries. Why do we need that? And those days are gone. And and Florida has realized that. And Billy Napier is pulling them, or, or kind of not pulling, but helping push them to where they need to be to compete with Alabama and Georgia. And now we'll see if he can actually do it on the field and in recruiting. Tell me, you know, it, it, this is – not breaking news here, but for my own education, um, you know, we we have long since seen, you know, the the millions and millions of dollars spent on these facilities, on these, um, you know, indoor practices, facilities, football uh, buildings, weight rooms. I mean, massive infrastructure, right? At, at enormous mm-hmm. cost. Of course, we know. Some of these athletic programs take in sometimes over $100 million a year, sometimes north of that. Um, and I would grant you that, you know, Spurrier just the guy's ball plays. He's going to line them up, you know, and go. Yep. But as- aside from that, um, this, is, this has been going on for a while. 
and you are the University of Florida. So what is sort of – is this just the, the, the level, the bar that recruit – is this about recruiting? Is it about, is it about coaching? What, what, or is it about performance? Or maybe all of those are wrapped in there somewhere um, that, that you fall behind in facilities or infrastructure, you then fall behind. Yeah, it it shows up in a couple different ways. Um, coaches will tell you the most important part is recruiting. Um, I've seen studies and data that suggest that's not really true. Like, if you spend all this money on infrastructure, it's not like you're you know it, they open the new indoor or the new facility. It's not like next year the recruiting class is, is probably going to be significantly better than it has been. Mm-hmm. It, it might be a little bit better, but you know these things kind of fluctuate and, and add in the new coach and everything. So. That's what they will tell you is we need this to be competitive. We need to show you and I'm not just talking about Florida. This is this is a, a general point. Yeah. We we need to show recruits that we're serious about football and the easiest way to do that is to have some flashy facilities. Um one of the the, the developmental piece is important as well. <laughs> I did a story a couple of years ago on the kind of rise of this the, this football only complex. And the thing that jumped out to me was how detailed they are. Like when Florida's talked about it and other schools, they get down to the the the, um, the door from the offensive line meeting room to the uh, main offensive meeting room. What wait? What way does the door need to open? How can we? Because if it opens a certain way, then guys will have to wait for it to open, and we can't do that because then we're wasting valuable seconds, and we only get them for however many hours a day. We can't waste. 10 seconds, 20 seconds, 30 seconds, five minutes with guys getting in and out of a room. We have to do this as quickly and efficiently as possible. So that's the level of detail there where they think they need to be as efficient as humanly possible to take every single second because 10 seconds a day, five days a week, 52 weeks a year, whatever it is, Mm. all that stuff adds up. And when you, again, you have these limits, you have these guidelines, anything you can do to maximize that efficiency is something that, in theory, will make you better than the other guys. It, and on a practical level at Florida, um, you know, right now when they go to practice, their their locker rooms in the is in the swamp. They have to walk across the street, past the the, the O'Connell Center, over mm-hmm. to the the indoor the, the football fields. That takes time. And when they have this new facility, the commute will be cut drastically. And that's how five extra minutes, ten extra minutes every single day, and they can use on getting better instead of walking across the street fascinating it really is and and there are limits uh, obviously and rules to how long you can spend time with these student athletes which is you know interesting in and of itself but i guess uh, i guess that makes sense Nap, napier though i mean listen as much as anything you're hiring a coach but you're hiring a coach who's going to bring in a staff and and you know this matt i mean we've seen with dan mullen maybe some changes he should have made in his and didn't and it may have cost him his job so what kind of a staff are we talking Is he just simply going to bring everybody with him from Louisiana, or um, is, is he able to attract the kind of, of uh, position coaches and coordinators that will make a difference? Because that is so important in this game. Yeah, it, it absolutely is important. And, and he's not, you know, he's going to bring over some of his guys from Louisiana. He already has. Um, I, mm-hmm. I thought, again, I don't get too caught up in the minutia, but I did think it was interesting that he brought on Mark Hawk as his uh, strength coach. Um, Nick Savage had been the strength coach at Florida and was very well regarded in the industry and also kind of by the staff. But the strength coach 
coaches will tell you that's the most important hire a head coach makes. <laughs> yes, yes, it is. It's, it's not just about um, getting bigger, stronger, and faster, although that's important. Um, for the whole offseason, when the head coach only has limited access to the players or no access, depending on the time of year, um, yeah. it's the strength coach who's going to be in there every day. And he has to be the, the mouthpiece for the coach, getting the message across, whatever the theme is, you know, the, all, all that stuff. That comes down to the strength coach. And um, Mark, the, the, the one that he's bringing with him from Louisiana, was part of the Saban machine. He knows what it's like. He's been with Napier. So that's kind of a transitional piece that to some degree makes sense. Um, in terms of who, how, who all is he going to be able to bring on, that's one of the questions I don't have an answer to yet. We'll, we'll just kind of have to see how everything shakes out because he hasn't been a coach at this level. Um, he, he's well-connected in the industry, I'm sure, and, and, I, and I don't think the staff is going to be bad, but is it going to be poaching guys from Georgia or Alabama or Tennessee, whatever it is? I, I don't know that. Let, let's wait and see. Yeah, well, I mean, it's interesting. For example, Georgia – was able to get a Todd Munkin, right, who was an offensive coordinator in the NFL and had been a head coach in at Southern Miss. So there are certain hires, um, you know, that can certainly help you in, in in that regard. Well, listen, I I mean, I think he won the press conference. He's he's sort of who you expected him to be, and there's always a lot of energy and excitement when uh, when you hire a new head coach. So um, obviously, he's got his work cut out, and it's going to be about about attracting players. We saw some – there are some defections already at LSU in different places with the new coaching staff coming in. Um, are they holding holding firm so far with the guys that they want to retain at Florida? Well, the last part of your question was, was the most important, the guys they want to retain. Um, mm. So as we record this, it's 4.54 on Wednesday. I say that because <laughs> since Tuesday morning, the Gators have lost four commits. Um, including a four-star quarterback from uh, the DFW area and a couple four-star receivers. Um, that's not the best, but I also don't think it's catastrophic. Well, let's put more context. Again, at 454 on Wednesday, the Gators have the number 76 recruiting class, uh, according to the 247 mm. composite. That is two behind Jim McElwain, Central Michigan Chippewas, and one ahead of some bums from Arkansas State. I don't know if you know anything about them, Rick. Um, let me just, so, let me just say right there. Okay, we are almost as good as the University of Florida. Let it be said that in recruiting, we are right there, baby. You you are. You're you're two one behind Florida, two behind East Carolina. Um, so <laughs> look, it's you know there and there is only one week until the early signing period. Um, so that's not ideal. However, it might not be catastrophic the way it seems when you look at transition classes where you go from one coach to the next there's always a ton of attrition uh there just is because you don't have a lot of time to evaluate the commits that are already there your roster who do you need what are the positions uh, that uh, uh that are of the most importance uh who can play for you this new staff new new roster who can't you don't have a lot of time to vet you know recruits i mean look how many players was billy napier recruiting at louisiana that can play at florida probably not very many so there's a whole new thing, and it's going to take time to adjust. And because mm. of that, uh, you look at over the years at how uh, transitional classes have done, especially in the early signing periods, they, they don't do well. Uh, I think 12 of the, uh, the the guys that Willie Taggart signed in his first recruiting class at Florida State have left the program. I think oh, it was wow. 14 in Jimbo Fisher's first class at A&M that have left. And I'm not talking about guys who you know got hurt and couldn't play anymore or guys yeah. who left to the league. These are guys who just, eh, this isn't working, see ya. And that attrition is not good. It, it hurts the program long-term. 
where mm-hmm. either you got guys who are bolting and you have to fill it later, or there are guys who are just dead weight on a roster. So there's something to be said for the idea of taking a small recruiting class this first time around. Um, and look, that's what Napier did at Louisiana. He signed zero players in December of his his first class in, in December of uh, 2017, and signed a lot more in in February. Um, of the guys who signed in February, six flamed out, which is much higher than the, that's a better rate than the industry average. And six of them became all conference players this past year on a team that won the league. So maybe this isn't as catastrophic as it seems. Now, is it great? No, of course not. You'd, you'd much rather be signing big fish, but. There, there's a method to this madness, and I don't, I can't tell you right now, or I can't tell you next Wednesday either, whether this is going to work. I'm just saying, let's pump the brakes a tiny bit. Well, it's interesting, you know, Florida because they beat Florida State, they earned their way, I guess, to a bowl game, the Gasparilla Bowl against UCF, which is a fascinating matchup in and of itself. What will Napier's uh, uh, biggest role be uh, in, in in watching that game, coaching that game, evaluating that game? What what will that do for him? Yeah, it's going to be watching and evaluating, um, not just the game itself, but everything leading up to it. Um, mm-hmm. Again, he's going to be able to look at his players, watch them for however many practices that they'll have, and say, okay, right. I like where I am at running back, but not uh, wide receiver or, or whatever mm-hmm. it is. He'll be able to figure mm-hmm. out, okay, after seeing them in person, not, not on film, but seeing them with my own eyes, seeing how they respond mm-hmm. to coaching, I'm going to need to get more of this, this, and this. But I feel really good about X, Y, and Z. So that's going to be a big factor in terms of what he's looking for in the February recruiting period, and then also through the transfer portal as well. Um, The other part that may or may not be interesting is he gets a chance to evaluate the coaches. Um, Some of them, maybe there's a chance he retains some of them. I, I wouldn't expect that. That doesn't happen a lot, but maybe he will. And when, when Willie Taggart took over at Florida State, that was one of the things that he said he liked to do. He, he doesn't get a chance very often to just evaluate, watch the coaches coach. And this was a chance for him to do that, to see if he liked anybody and, and wanted to keep anybody around. So that's a chance for, for Napier to do that as well as they get ready to, to play for all the, the booty of the Gasparilla Bowl. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. We love booty. Um, also, uh, you know, there, there was a uh, a big hire, of course, uh, at the University of Miami. This thing was botched six ways to Saturday with Manny Diaz, whose statement reflected uh, his disappointment in the way uh, the Canes handled this. But um, no surprise, the worst kept secret maybe for a while. Mario Cristobal goes from Oregon back to his alma mater, I guess you would say, to the University of Miami. It's a restart again and again and again for the Canes. Um, your thoughts about, look, what what else could they have done, right, until they had a deal with Cristobal? Um, I suppose they were going to keep Manny, but this thing looked horrible. And and also, I mean, can can Cristobal, with, with his knowledge of of that area, with, with his ties, with his history, what's going to be different, really? What do you think will be different about it under Mario? 
So let's start about how this all went down because yes. it wasn't good. Uh, it's no, it's not unprecedented. I'm, sh- you know, there there was a Tommy Tuberville Auburn situation, um, yep. where he was left hanging in the in the in the breeze, and I'm sure it's happened before. But this is rare for for a coach, a head coach to be, you know, just drifting around the way Manny was, and nobody knowing what's going on. Everybody knowing there's an, another guy out there that they would rather have. But if not, you'll be our plan B. Um, I don't think that's the right way to, to do it. Um, uh, there's a right way and a wrong way to treat people, and that is not the right way. So uh, let's get that out of the way. But mm-hmm. Miami got their guy. This is, this is a cold, cold business, and Miami got their guy. And if Mario wins the way, honestly, I think he can, then three years from now, five years from now, n- nobody's going to look back and say, oh, I mean, they treated Manny bad. It's going to look back and say, hey, the you got their guy, and they're back. Or they didn't get their guy, and here we are back at square one again. Um, so that's the first part. The second part, what's going to be different about this? Mario, look, I, I think I said it on the show. Mario would have been my first choice at Florida. If I could have had, you know, if they went to me and said, Matt, who, who would you pick? I would said I would pick Mario if I had a blank check um, because he's going to recruit his tail off. He had like the top six class, I think it was, at Oregon last year, which is not the easiest place in the world to recruit to. Um, but he has ties all over the state, particularly in South Florida. Again, a tireless recruiter who, who's going to get the dudes it takes to win at a high level. Um, and he's proven. You know, he, he won a, a conference title at Florida International, which is nothing to sneeze at. Um, he, he won the Pac-12 twice in four years at Oregon, took him to the Pac-12 title game th- this past year. Upset Ohio State, won a Rose Bowl. Like, that's a pretty accomplished resume. No, he's he's not yeah. the best coach in the country. He's not Saban or Dabo or something, but he's he did a pretty darn good job there at Oregon. So I think he has a chance to be successful because I think he's a good coach. Uh, I think he understands what Miami should look like when it's successful, and he has all the recruiting ties there to make it happen. Um, and, and again, like I talked about with Florida – the other interesting part of this is Miami's methodology. Th- their approach has shifted here, right? Um, where instead of going after you know guys from the the whatever Temple was in at the time when they hired um, when they hired Al Golden, or you know going after a retread like like Mark Richt, retread's probably a little harsh, but they're hiring a guy from a major conf- a major school at a major conference who has won a conference title. Yeah. Um, and they're paying a lot of money to do it. Supposedly it's, it's 10 years, eight mil a year. And they're doing another, I think it's $8 million for assistant coaches. And they're probably going to pay a couple million dollars a year to hire a, an athletic director. And as we sit here now, I expect it to be Dan Radakovich from Clemson. So mm. you put all that stuff together. Miami is invested now in, in football the way they haven't been before. Um, my thing has always been when you, you know, everybody makes a bad hire in coaching, right? Alabama's made them. Oklahoma's made them. Everybody but Ohio State has had dips and recessions. But when you have one bad hire after another after another, and the things don't change, maybe it's not the coaches. Maybe the program is the problem. And that's the way I felt about Miami, where they didn't have flashes of success the way the Gators have. It was, you know, they had one uh, division title in, in 15 years or whatever. It's not the coaches, it's the program. And part of yeah. that is the infrastructure and the spending. And what we've seen this week with how they, they approached uh, getting Mario, how they landed him, 
and everything else that's happened, you can see that the U is changing the way they're doing business. And I think that would make me more optimistic about their success. Well, that leads us into a great mailbag question for you, Matt, uh, about the business of college football and all these coaches. Ryan asks, how do all these schools have so much money to pay coaches and FSU is basically bankrupt? Uh, why do college coaches make more than NFL coaches now? And when, when the revenues are nowhere near what the NFL teams bring in, he says, I guess it's because all the money uh, goes to players in the NFL. But ding, what, ding, what's your ding. thoughts about that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, let's 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 hit that last part first. Um, it, it's a su- supply and demand thing, right? It's all just your basic econ 101 in high school or, or your freshman level college course. Uh, there's money coming in because people like to watch and read and uh, listen to stuff about college football. So that's why your you know CBS paid however much ESP for the SEC. ESPN's paying a ton more. College football playoff. There's a ton of money with that, more so than the old system. So people are making more money, and that money has to go somewhere. It's not going to the players. It, 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 it can't, aside from some stipends and what have you. So that has to go somewhere, which is why you have these gold-plated, gold-plated facilities that we talked about, where there's an $85 million football complex going up in Gainesville. Um, and then some of that money has to go somewhere else, which is why Brian Kelly is going to make $10 million a year at LSU, and Lincoln Riley is going to make something like that. And, uh, uh, you know... Mel Tucker, who had a 10-win season at Michigan State, is going to make 9.5. The money has to go somewhere. So that's the simple supply and demand economic version of this, uh, economic answer, excuse me. Um, The other part is what's up with Florida State. Florida State made some bad decisions several years ago uh, um, when when Stan Wilcox was the AD. He – I never, I don't have a clear answer as to what exactly happened, but suffice to say, they spent more than they should have, and they had, uh, you know, they just didn't, <laughs> they didn't watch the budget carefully enough, and that led them to get in some major financial issues, combined with that the boosters weren't necessarily pulling in as much as usual, combined with the team that was going downhill, combined with attendance that was lagging because the team was going downhill, mm. and you put all that stuff together, and you have some. You have a financial hole. Um, and let's not forget, too, that the ACC doesn't make as much money as the Big Ten in the SEC. And those are the guys that Florida State is competing with, right? They're, they're trying to beat Ohio State and Georgia and, and, sure. and Michigan and, and Florida. But they're doing so getting significantly less money from the conference. And they're doing so. FSU is one of the schools that wants to be like a Stanford or a UCLA where you're not just good at football. You care about Women's soccer, hey, they just won a national championship, by the way. Good for them. Um, and they care about baseball, and they care about softball, and men's basketball, and women's basketball. And that all means there's less money to go into football. So there's a lot of factors there that have put FSU in this situation. Um, as we sit here today, they're in a better financial situation than they have been in the past. But I have concerns about what FSU's financial future is going to be, just because the gap... You know, the, the ACC contract, I, I'm getting in the weeds here, but um, the ACC's contract with ESPN runs until 2036. So they've got another 15 years where they're not making more money from the conference wow. unless something changes. Whereas the SEC is about to a huge payday from ESPN. And uh, the Big Ten's deal is up here pretty soon, and they're going to see a, a windfall from probably the ESPN and Fox. And the Big 12 might at some point too. So 
the, the, the ACC is behind, and it's going to get even more behind in the next few years, which is going to make it that much harder for FSU to keep up. Fascinating. Uh, we got one more mailbag question for you, uh, Matt. Les asks, please finish this sentence. Dan Mullen will be the next head coach at blank. <sighs> next head coach. I don't That's know. Question. That's a terrible answer. I'm sorry, Les. Um, I don't know what he wants his next job to be. And I think he's at a fork in, a, in the road in his career. If he wanted to be a college head coach, I, I'm sure he could do it this year. I mean, it wouldn't be at the SEC level, um, but maybe he would have gotten in at a, a Virginia or a Duke. There's just two schools that are that are open right now. And, and I think, honestly, he could do pretty well there. But I also think that the NFL, I think, has intrigued him. He's never said so directly, but the way his name came up over a couple different cycles with the NFL and, and the way he his his attitude towards recruiting, I think he has interest in the NFL. And so I don't know if he wants to be, you know, I'd imagine he'd like to be an NFL coach. I'll say that, but he's not, you know, the jets aren't going to hire him tomorrow. He's going to have to move up at this point. So I wonder if his next job is going to be trying to be a college head coach again, or trying to go into the NFL where maybe he needs to be a position coach or an offensive coordinator or something like that and do well there to advance up to be a head coach someday. So I think he's at a fork in the road right now. And I don't know which way it's going to go. I don't know if he knows which way it's going to go. Well, he's certainly got time in the short term. Looks like he's going to do a little TV, at least in the, maybe in the postseason, or we saw him, um, I guess, last weekend. Um, let me ask you this, because uh, we've got the uh, Heisman Trophy uh, balloting, of course, has gone out, and they will soon be awarding that uh, to someone. I frankly think it was over after I watched the uh, Alabama uh, quarterback bomb away against the number one defense in the nation. That's my personal opinion. But there's other interesting guys uh, on that uh, stage. So uh, just sort of handicap. You don't have to give me your ballot, but just sort of handicap it for me. Yeah, I, I can't give you my ballot until afterward, but we'll, we'll publish my you know my methodology for who I voted for and why on tampabay.com right after the award is announced, which is as soon as we can do it. I'll give you yep. my short list here. Um, yeah. These are in no order, but these are the guys I wrote down. Right. Bryce Young, Kenny Pickett, Will Anderson, the Alabama edge rusher, Aiden Hutchinson, Michigan edge rusher, Jordan Davis and Nicobe Dean from Georgia, Kenneth Walker the third from Michigan State, Tyler Linderbaum, the Iowa center, your boy C.J. Stroud, um, Matt Ariza, the uh, San Diego State punter, who, wow. don't laugh, he, he was better at his position than anybody else in the country. Somebody is huh. going to Roberto Aguayo him in the draft. I'm telling you. Somebody, wow. somebody is going to go up and take this guy who can bomb at 80 yards like it's nothing and be mm. a huge weapon in the league. And then Sauce Gardner, the Cincinnati defensive back. Those are the guys that were on my short list. Um, I'll, I'll tell you this. It was not easy. Um, number one was pretty easy for me. But then mm -hmm. two, three, like that was tough. The, the, the gap between three and four was not very big at all. I actually, when I woke up on Monday, I thought I was going to vote one way. And then when I actually went down and, you know, went and watched the film and looked over the highlights or when it looked over the data and the stats more, I went with somebody different than what I was expecting to. And even now, I don't know that it was the right decision, but it's too late. So it, it was very tough kind of coming into that, you know, that that, that decision there with, with the last spot. And frankly, I wish the Heisman would let us vote for four or five guys instead of three because, you know, there were, 
at least in my eyes, there was somebody very deserving that I left off, and I don't feel good about it. Well, listen, and I don't know that this is the year for it necessarily, but just your general thoughts about how far away are we from a defensive player like an Aiden Hutchinson, who I thought had the best year on a really good Michigan team that, you know, um, got over the hump and, and, and is in this this uh, Final Four. Is that ever going to happen uh, or in our near future? Do you think we'll get to a point where it won't go to a quarterback or a running back or somebody who, who carries or, or touches the ball all the time? Well, it went to a receiver last year, but – Devonte Smith was special, special. Yeah, yeah, he was. I mean, he he was he's he's the best receiver that I've covered. Him and 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 Justin Blackman, but Devonte was better by a decent amount. Um, I would like to think, Rick, that at some point it will go to a defensive player because um, you know it's, it's been a while. I think it would probably take a perfect storm. Um, for, I'll, I'll put it this way. It was. It would have been easy to to think. Will and I mean, Will Anderson was the best player for Alabama for almost every game this year. He was not, however, the best player on the field Saturday against Georgia. That was Bryce Young, and it's a lot easier to look at that and say, "Oh my goodness, Bryce Young is fantastic. He, he's the best guy in this team." When he wasn't for the most part over the year. So you you know, I had to figure out: Do I put it to a guy who is the best over the course of the season? Or how much put do I put? How much stock do I put in the fact that Bryce Young lit up what was statistically the best, probably the best defense this century, or maybe since 01 Miami or something? So that's kind of the the calculus you had to put. And it's uh, unless a defender is really really dominant on an elite level team, I think it will be hard for for him to make to to win. However, you know, Chase Young was in the mix a couple of years ago. Uh, Aiden Hutchinson's going to New York this year. If if Bryce Young hadn't blown up the way he did down the stretch, I think Will Anderson would have would have been in the mix as well. So it's possible, but I think honestly, I think it's gonna be like Cincinnati in the playoff. It's gonna have to take the perfect storm to make it happen. Speaking of Cincinnati in the playoff, what did you make of the seedings? Did the committee get the order right? I was cool with it. Um, you know, on my AP ballot. I had uh, I had the same order, but you know, to me, Alabama and Michigan one two two one, right? They're about the same. I don't you know, whatever. Georgia Cincinnati three four four three, they're about the same. Like I'd make a good argument either way. So I didn't feel really strongly about it. Um, so yeah, I, I think they I think they got it right, um, and I'm I'm happy to see a group of time group of five team in the playoff. I'm happy to see a different team in Michigan. Cause you know, it's not like there are nobody, but it's something different than the usual guys, the usual suspects that everybody's sick of Clemson and OU and Notre Dame. And, you know, so I'm, I'm glad it's that. I also think, you know, Kirk, Kirk Street tweeted something the other day about somewhere, something along the lines of now that a group of five teams in, we're all the people who are complaining about the system the last couple of years. And I think that's kind of silly. Uh, it yeah. took, a, I mean, it took a perfect storm for Cincinnati to get in, right? Like if yes. Notre Dame had not been a really good Notre Dame team this year, then people would have knocked their schedule more. Um, and that's just luck in terms of what type of Notre Dame team you have at the time. Um, if Oklahoma State had scored a touchdown on that last play, that was literally, what, half a yard short, less than that that's against right. Baylor? Maybe Oklahoma State would have jumped Cincinnati. Mm-hmm. We'll never know, but it, it, it was that close. 
So it took all these things to happen for Cincinnati to get in. And to me, that's not a sign that, well, there, there's no glass ceiling after all. Somebody broke through it. I think that just means that the roof opened up one year and then now it's going to close again next year and, until the system changes. Yeah, totally agree. They need to expand this and do it quickly. And um, I think Cincinnati is fortunate that they uh, that, that the stars align for them. I really do. Finally, I'll get you out on this one, uh, Matt. It uh, looks like there's even more discussion, uh, crowing, uh, predictions. I don't know what you would call it because I haven't seen a stake in the ground, but sure seems like USF uh, believes that they need and are going to build a stadium. That's correct. Let's. Uh, I, I'm more optimistic now about it happening than I have been, but I, I also don't have... I want to. I want to keep seeing progress. Um, mm-hmm. uh, Divya, our uh, our, US, or, excuse me, our higher education writer, um, was at or monitored the the board of trustees meeting the other day at USF, where they finally gave some details. They listed a couple different potential sites for for the stadium. They gave right. a price tag, uh, two hundred and fifty million to four hundred million, um, and they also gave a timeline, like potentially twenty twenty six. That mm-hmm. seems very optimistic to me. But mm-hmm. they're making progress in the stuff you have to do before you can really get serious and figure out all right, where is this going to go? Where is the money coming from? Where are we borrowing it from? How are we raising it? All that stuff. So I- I'm glad to see some progress um, because this has been going on for a very long time. And I- I- you know, some of me say, yeah, let's wait. When there's a shovel on the ground, I'll believe it. But they're clearly moving in that direction now in a way that they haven't before. That makes you think that this can actually happen. And you know, I, I think it is – if USF is going to move up to be the school – or excuse me, to be the program that it thinks it can be, I think it's imperative. I, I don't think you can be you – know, I, I don't think they can rise up to a Power 5 level playing at Raymond James Stadium. I, I don't think they're going to get the buzz. I don't think that they're going to get the engagement from the student body. I don't think they're going to get the buy-in and everything. I think this is something that they need as part of their identity to move up in the world, and and they're they're taking steps to that end. Well, if for no other reason than to prove or disprove that theory, I would love to see them build a stadium because if they're right, it's going to help their program, and if they're wrong, well, at least they tried. Um, so it looks like that's that's the direction we're heading. Uh, the direction you're heading is that we'll be discussing more uh, about the bowl season. And, of course, uh, the national championship picture uh, is coming uh, coming of age here. Before long, we'll be uh, to Christmas, then New Year's, and then here we go. On New Year's Eve, of course, there'll be uh, two really important games that we'll talk about. But in the meantime, Matt, thanks uh, again for uh, just a, a great, uh, terrific regular college football season. And then we'll we'll talk about the national championship picture here coming up shortly. You got it. Thanks, Rick. Thanks, Matt. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.